For it is by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 Welcome to Grace Bond Ministries. Terrible go first. <laughs> oh, you see that guitar played me off.
Thank you, Tara. Uh, if y'all would, go ahead and turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. That's, a, that's on Tara I just played. You know, that's an old song. It's a great song. A song I, I don't think any of us in here will ever forget. <laughs> and it's really cool that just about any hymns can kind of go into this Ruth story. There's all kinds of, like I said, there's all kinds of different applications you can get out of Ruth. But, uh, you know, here in this chapter, in this section we're in, we're finally getting to the point, and I'm sure we all know the story of Ruth, but we're getting to the point where Ruth puts her faith in Naomi, puts her faith in uh, Yahweh, and uh, in Naomi's people. And really it just goes to show how close Ruth and Naomi came to be over those years. And then it just made me think, you know, listen to that song. The same friendship we have with Jesus, I mean, it's just so, it's just shown so clearly with this relationship between Ruth and Naomi. And even Orpah, I'll argue here in just a second. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. So, like I said, I believe in chapter one, we're kind of at the point in their lives where they feel like they've lost everything. You know, one through five is when they actually were losing everything. And then the rest of the chapter is uh, them, them talking about and you start seeing their, their misery and their, their depression, their frustration, everything going on in chapter one. So it's like this time when they lost everything, it seemed like, except for each other. And so I think one thing we need to get out of this chapter in Ruth is to have faith. Have faith. And with chapter 1, we need to have faith even when we seemingly, seemingly have nothing. And we saw, you know, looking at verse 14, Naomi tries to build this little bit of an argument, kind of, to send... But it really is an argument. I don't know why I say kind of. <laughs> but it's his argument is to convince Orpah and Ruth that it's better for them to go home to their people and go home to their gods, as, we, as she says here in just a second. And it seems like, according to verse 14, that, that she convinces Orpah, but Ruth is not as convinced. So now we get to look at the final choice. The final choice of Ruth, because it, it seems like that they were traveling down the road, and then Naomi stops and talks to them, and then Orpah turns back, but then Ruth, still undecided, kind of, is still walking with Naomi, and then they get to this conversation later on, and then Ruth finally makes her, her final decision to stay with Naomi as they got close to the entrance of Bethlehem. And we look at Ruth, we're going to... And, like, and, and we get back into some of the stuff we talked about in the last couple of weeks. But we look at Ruth. We see that she took this leap of faith. This leap of faith so she could stay with Naomi. And I'm sure many of us in here have all faced tough life decisions. We probably all made decisions that we weren't sure how the outcome would be. <laughs> now, we weren't sure if it, was what, if, it, if it was even the decision we needed to make. I mean, sometimes there may have been a decision, you know, sometimes God will tell us to do something, but there may have been another decision that made more sense, yet we go with God's decision because we believe God told us to do it, and we have to take this leap of faith. Sometimes it's blind, sometimes it's reasonable. But, I know without a doubt, though, that if God tells us to make a decision, it will be a great decision, no matter what. So let's read this text real quick. So we're going to be in Ruth chapter 1, 
Starting in verse 14, we're going to finish up, finish up the chapter. Verse 14, it says, Again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, Don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely. If anything but death, separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. And the local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has opposed me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day, Lord, once again. Just pray that you remind us constantly of how blessed we are to just be uh, on this earth, Lord, and just to see your creation, uh, to love on people, and just to see... Uh, people smile and be happy. God, I pray as we look over these verses, Lord, you just speak to us. Speak to us. God, we know that you, you put this story in the Bible to teach us, to show us your character, to show us how you deal with people and with us. And God, we just love you. We love you because you first loved us, Lord. And I pray you just let us never forget that. And just show us your love and your mercy and your kindness this morning. As we study your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, let's go back here and look at verse 14. Verse 14, it says, Again they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So first thing we see there is they wept loudly again. You know, they were both upset that Naomi was wanting them to leave, leave, their, leave her side. And part of this probably has to do with Naomi, you know, with her daughter-in-law's there. It's just this constant reminder of this misery she's gone through. So part of it may be Naomi not wanting to go through that anymore. But, you know, I want to we'll talk about Orpah for a second. You know, I think a lot of times... And, I don't know about y'all, but when I've heard the story of Ruth, Orpah has always been painted in this really dark light, like she just made an awful decision, a bad decision, things like that. What's well, interesting, though, is Orpah made a logical decision. She made the logical decision. I mean, she was a Moabite, so it'd be more logical for her to go back to her own people, to have security, than to stay with her mother-in-law. But at the beginning, of, earlier in this chapter, though, I mean, Orpah in it here, too wept loudly of the thought of leaving her mother-in-law. Not to mention that, you know, Naomi also gave her a blessing to go back home instead. There's also the interesting fact that the narrator who ever wrote Ruth don't paint Orpah in a bad light. But 
You know, but from a Christian perspective, you know, the logical decision, you know, I do think there's a lot of times where God will, God will guide us in decision and it will be logical and it will be what he wants us to do. But there's sometimes, though, we have to take a leap of faith and we have to make a what, seemingly illogical uh, uh, decision. Illogical to us, at least. But from here, in, in this story, in the book of Ruth, this where people get this because Ruth makes a decision to stay, whereas Orpah makes you know, the more logical decision to go back home. So Ruth takes the risk of going with Naomi. So I can see a possibility where uh, Orpah could be in the wrong there. Especially from a Christian perspective, because you know, we, make a, we make decisions as Christians. You know, our decisions need to be focused on God, and what God would have us to do, what God wants, what God desires. It should be the, the driving motivator for us. It's also interesting, though, is in the story of Ruth, this is the last time we hear of Orpah. So then all these questions start rising. You know, what happened to Orpah? You know, did she get married? Did, did, did they ever meet back up again? <coughs> but there's many questions that you could <laughs> come up with. And if you ever study with me, I'm, I'm one that's definitely full of questions. <laughs> everything I study, everything I see, I just ask a bunch of questions. And uh, some of them I know I can't answer. Some of them I know I can't. But here, I think there's a reason that we don't necessarily have these answers about what exactly happened to Orpah because Orpah's not the main person of the story. Narratively, Ruth is the main person, but overall, God is the main person of the story. But the narrative, Ruth is the main person that the, that the narrator wants to get across here. So that's probably why we don't get the answer to these questions because Orpah's not the focus of this book. Matter of fact, Orpah's character, Orpah's decisions, Orpah's, you know, whatever Orpah says, it all just highlights Ruth. <laughs> More than Orpah. And then, of course, Ruth highlights God. But Ruth, it seems like Ruth was just so torn because Ruth was probably convinced as well about Naomi's argument that it would actually be better for Ruth to go back home to her people and to her gods. But she just couldn't do it. She clings to Naomi. She chooses the hard, risky, illogical route. I think the reason she does that is just because she loves Naomi so much that she cannot let Naomi go. And I'm sure there's other various reasons as well. And if you read the whole story, we know that there's an ultimate purpose that God has in mind. So God's definitely working in this whole situation as well. But after verse 14, we get to verse 15, and Naomi responds to Ruth. (coughs) Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. So here, Naomi draws attention to Orpah, trying to convince Ruth to make the same decision that Orpah made because it would be better for Ruth and be better for everybody. And so she's, you know, she says that Orpah is going home to her, her kinfolk or her people, which that's understandable, right? I mean, somebody's going to go home. They're going to go home to their people. They're going to go home to, to uh, their families. We'd all probably agree, you know, going home to your family is a positive thing. But the next part of this verse that bothers me is Naomi says that she's going to her gods. And keep in mind here, she's trying to convince Ruth 
right, the best decision is for her to go back. So she's telling Ruth that it's better for you to go back to your gods. That's interesting. And I think that kind of shows a depravity that's going on during the time of the judges, where people are just equating these other gods with Yahweh. So there's a couple of troubling things about God, about the gods here. For one, their god was Chemish. But considering the, the word here is plural, it's which they probably worship multiple gods, but Chemish is kind of their, their higher up god. So they probably still worship other gods. Of course, then sometimes, though, with Yahweh, he's referred to as Elohim in the plural, which could be a you know, reference to the Trinity, or it could just be a, a sign of reverence to God. But another thing, like I said, is that she speaks to these gods like they were a good thing. <laughs> For instance, you know, there was, uh, I'm sure y'all probably all heard of Robbie Zacharias, but he was talking about, and he was kind of hinting that it was, it was Joel Osteen, but I don't know for sure. But he said there was a real famous preacher, and he said that the Muslims have their own interpretation, their own revelation from God, and we have to respect their revelation. <laughs> Almost like they're equal, like their revelation is equal with our revelation. Well, that's not true. <laughs> Matter of fact, their revelation contradicts the word of God. It's interesting hearing him talking about that. And a lot of people view that. This guy we were talking to last night. I hate to say it, but in the prisons today, the, the Muslim faith is one of the hardest pushed religions in those prisons. Which on the plus side, you know, it gets them to say, because, you know, the Islamic faith is very works-based and doing, being a good person, stuff like that. It makes them better people. But they're led astray. And we were talking to this guy last night because he, he said he was incarcerated and all that stuff. And, and you know, he was... He was talking about how he's read the Bible, and then he also said, I've read the Quran, and he started leaning towards the Islamic faith when we were talking to him. But another troubling fact, you know, is, is that she's equating Yahweh with their gods. And that might be a little, reading a little too much into it, but it definitely seems like what she's doing here. She's telling Ruth it's better to do that. But once again, though, Orpah is not the main focus of the story. And here, Orpah's decision is still highlighting and pointing back to Naomi and Ruth. And eventually the story is going to get to Ruth. And then it's going to get to the lineage of Ruth at the very end, which leads up to Jesus. So now look, look at uh, verses 16 and 18. Now we get to hear directly from Ruth. This is the first time we've heard directly from Ruth this entire story. There's a couple times where... Uh, there's a couple times where it's both of them speaking. It says, they said, they said, Orpah and Ruth. But here we get to hear from Ruth for the first time. And it's one of the most memorable parts of Scripture, too, because it's, it's definitely, you know, poetic. And it's so ap- applicable to us today. And the true focus of this little, this little passage here, verses 16 and 17, is hesed that we talked about. Hesed, which is love, loyalty, kindness, mercy, grace, all the attributes of God in one word. Hesed. And Ruth is focused on one thing and one thing only, being with Naomi no matter the consequences. So let's read these, uh, these verses here. We'll read to 18. But Ruth replied, verse 16, Don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. 
Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. So again, there's those parallelisms and the, the poetic side of that. I mean, it's just a very good and interesting part of Scripture. You know, one thing she says is, don't plead with me to abandon you. You know, abandon is a very emotional term, right? I mean, how many, how many of us use abandon on a normal basis? <laughs> you know, when I think abandon, the first thought that popped in my head when I was preparing this sermon was, when I think abandon, I think of a puppy. You know, a lot of times people say, yeah, somebody abandoned the dog on the side of the road. Very emotional word. And I think it's very emotional here as well. Because she doesn't want to abandon her mother-in-law, even if that means great risk. Then she says that she will go wherever Naomi goes. That Naomi's people, the Israelites, will become Ruth's people. Same thing for Naomi's God, Yahweh. And this is extraordinary that Ruth would make this statement. It's because she's, given, she's abandoning other things just so she could be with Naomi. Because there's three things that any person in this context would have clung to. It had been the homeland, her, her native homeland, her own people, and her own gods. But she gives up all three of those things, all three of these security attributes during this time. She gives up all three just so she can be with Naomi. Just for the security of Naomi. And then, interestingly, she swears an oath. <laughs> she swears an oath. And in this context, and of course, in any religion today, in any person, <laughs> sometimes, unless they just don't believe in, in gods or any god, an oath is a very, very serious matter. An oath to a deity, an oath to God. It's a very serious matter. And here, we know, unlike the other guys, those oaths are kind of meaningless. Because <laughs> when you make an oath to God, he takes it seriously. Plus, he's actually real and the other ones aren't. But... <laughs> But she makes an oath here. She, would, she actually appeals to Yahweh by name. She must have learned that his name was Yahweh from communication with Naomi about her God. But at this point, you know, has she fully given up on her gods and converted to Judaism? I think, she, I think she does. I think she does here. She says, you know what? I give up on my gods and I'm going to go follow your God. But it's kind of unclear here, so we can't really say but she respects their land enough to know that she must follow and obey whatever God is over their land. <coughs> Except, as we all know, <laughs> Yahweh's not like Kimish, this God of Kimish. He's not like all these false gods. He's real. He's personal. And he controls all things. Uh, how many of us in here, you know, especially reading through the, the Ten Commandments and the laws and things like that, and all these laws and uh, even a little bit in the New Testament about oaths. I mean, how many of us would make this oath to God just to stay by somebody's side? It's kind of what we do at salvation, all right? We make an oath to Jesus, like, God, I, will, I give you my life. I give you my life. Thank you for saving me. I put my faith and trust in you. You know how many people today 
My dad said he ran through this all the time when he was a pastor and uh, people were coming up to him and they said they were wanting him to do their wedding and things like that. And one of the things that he said a lot of people wanted to take out of their wedding was, till death do we part. <laughs> so not only do people struggle today with, you know, with, with making oaths to God, <laughs> they can't even make oaths to people. Till death do you part. That's what Naomi says to you. And nothing in this suggests that Naomi was lying or Naomi was pretending. Naomi, I mean, uh, Ruth was pretending or lying or anything like that. Ruth was serious. Ruth was serious in everything that she said. She said, may the Lord punish me severely if anything but death separates them. Now, I've heard a lot of people say that and Especially at weddings, you know, people, people will still say that and then not follow through with it. You know, I, for one, when I said at my wedding, I meant it. <laughs> Till death do we part. But it's weird to me with oaths and things like that and promises that people just, people just don't keep them like they, like they used to. Right? They don't take them very serious. Till death do we part. So here, though, it's made very clear, right, that Ruth made up her mind and refused to go back. So in verse 18, it says Naomi stops talking about it. Now, here, we're not really sure how close they were to Bethlehem at this point. But as soon as this conversation's over, somewhere after this conversation's over, they end up in Bethlehem. They enter Bethlehem. So let's look at verses 19 through 21. Verse 19, it says the two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. Excuse me. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. And the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So again, verse 19, the, the beginning of verse 19, the first sentence, that's the last thing we hear about the journey they had and all the conversations they had on that journey. The beginning of verse 19. And what's interesting is when they came back to the town, of course, in a town like this, you know, everybody knew everybody and all that. But it makes you think that Naomi and Elimelech might have been pretty important people at that time. They, as soon as she walks back into town, they recognize Naomi. And the entire town was, they were excited, they were shocked. Because you've got to keep in mind, it's been at least 10 years since Naomi had been back. So they say, can this really be Naomi? But Naomi immediately, she shuts down that excitement and, and uh, response to their questions. She left Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. So she left pleasant and she came back as Mara. She came back bitter. Literal translation of Mara. And just, that, just her switching her name like that and saying, this is what you should call me, shows the, the years of frustration, the years of pain that Naomi was feeling. And then, interestingly, she, she claims that the Lord made her bitter. And the Lord here is written in two ways. It's written in one way as almighty, as my translation says. I'm sure some translations are a little different. That's Shaddai, or Shaddai, 
which is a, a title for God. It's literally the one of the mountain. It's a higher up. It's an almighty. And then she uses the word Yahweh, his one and only name. You know, God has many titles throughout Scripture, but his one name is Yahweh. <laughs> and it's always been kind of humorous to me because Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, they, they like to say, you know, well, God's name is Jehovah. Why would, you call, why would you call God anything but Jehovah? That's his name. It's disrespectful if you don't call him Jehovah. But <laughs> Jehovah, I'm sure we all know, Jehovah is English letters, first of all. There's no vowels in the Hebrew. Yahweh is actually closer than Jehovah. Not to mention that Jehovah is translated Lord in English. So sometimes in the, the Jehovah's Witnesses have their own Bible translation called the New World Translation. And they put, uh, every time God is mentioned by name, they put Jehovah and then sometimes they'll add Lord to it. <laughs> and I'm thinking, uh, do you realize you just put Lord, Lord <laughs> back to back? But that's their big thing, and I'm, I'm convinced they kind of have a spirit of disunity among them. They're, they're trying to kind of cause problems and things like that. But it's interesting. It's also written in this order. Shaddai, Shaddai Yahweh, Yahweh, Shaddai. <laughs> Another poetic kind of parallelism. But how did the Lord make her bitter? Apparently it was by afflicting her with all of these troubles. But I don't think this was an evil act on God's part where God was just trying to be evil against Naomi. I think it was a judgment, a judgment act. And ultimately, as it's clearly seen, you know, it brings Naomi back. back. It brings her back and she repents of those things. But although Naomi is bitter now, by the end of Ruth, God's grace, love, and mercy changes Naomi for the better. Especially when the kinsman redeemer enters the family. But point here, you know, in this whole judgment was that she left full and then she came back empty. She left pleasant. She left as Naomi pleasant, came back to Mara bitter because of the things that happened to her. Then in verse 22, we kind of get a summary of everything that's just transpired. It says, so Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So now Ruth and Naomi are safely in Israel just in time for this barley harvest. Now the barley harvest, you know, that, was one of the, that, that was the first crop to be harvested for each year. So if they made it in time for that, they made it in time to, uh, to gather enough food to get through the year. Somewhere around late April, early March is when they got there. But I want to dwell for a minute on the, on the actions of Ruth in this chapter. The actions of Ruth. So it seems to me that she takes this leap of faith. She risks the rest of her life. She, she gives up her, her known security so that she can be with her mother-in-law. And sometimes as Christians, you know, we too have to make some leaps of faith. Some leaps of faith. Sometimes, especially when we feel like we've lost everything. <laughs> We feel like we lost everything. We have to put our faith and hope in something. You ever see like in movies and things when people are running and somebody's like chasing after them, you know, whether, you know, about to shoot them or something like that. But they're running. And then a lot of times in almost all movies, they get to a point where they're trapped. Especially people like, 
on cliffs or people who are running on top of buildings. And they stop when they see this huge jump. If they're running from building to building, they stop when they see this huge jump. But they know they have to take this leap of faith. They don't have any other choice. But it's a lot easier for them to take that leap when they had no other choice than if they did have other choices. So sometimes when we feel like we've lost everything, we have to put our faith and hope in something. And sometimes when it feels like we have nothing, we can, we can feel like Naomi, we can feel bitter, we can feel like God has done something to us. But also in Scripture, it says that God works out good for all of those who live according to His purpose. So if you're living for God and you're, you're trying to follow His will, God will work out the situation. That's a promise from God. And I don't know of any promises that God has never kept. But when we face these leaps of faith, there can be some very scary things. There can be great change that has to happen. There can be great sacrifice that has to happen on our part. It can be very scary. We can become fearful of those things. But the Bible is very clear that the only thing we're supposed to fear is God. Very clear. Time and time again. Proverbs, it says that the the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. It's my favorite scripture. And who better to fear than somebody who is on your side? So again, how many of us in here had to make a decision without knowing what the outcome could be? Sometimes without even being able to guess what the outcome could be. But you think back, especially y'all that are older than me, you think back to all those decisions you made. And how sometimes the scariest decisions you've made had the greatest outcome <laughs> that you can imagine. For me, you know, I haven't, had to made a, I haven't had to make a whole lot of major decisions. But for instance, you know, when I was trying to find a college, when I had to go to college somewhere, I had no idea what would happen if I came to Burton Parker College. <laughs> I was over here by myself, no connections, nothing. But it was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. I met my wife, many friends. met you all. I've learned so much from this time here. And gee, but when you, when, you, when you make the decision that God wants you to make, no matter how much leap of faith it takes, sometimes it takes more of a leap, sometimes it takes less of a leap, but no matter how much leap of faith it takes, you'll start to see, after a while, you'll start to see signs that God has got you there for a reason. And why God put you through some situations. My first sign, I don't know if I ever shared this story, but my first sign that I was where I was supposed to be was meeting Ronnie Smith. <laughs> so y'all know I had the whole thing. I met Mr. Danny. And got, got to, he got to become my mentor and friend and all that. And I started going to his church on Wednesday nights and uh, Sundays when I wasn't preaching. And Wednesday night I would go to this Bible study. And after about two times of going, the teacher... Now, keep in mind, there's about five or six different men's Bible studies going on, so I could have went to any of them. And they sent me to Ronnie Smith's Bible study. And he finally asked me, what's your name? Where are you from? He said, I said, I'm Jonathan Jenkins. I'm from Doe Run, Georgia. He said, Jonathan Jenkins. He said, you don't happen to be related to Ray Jenkins, do you? <laughs> Turns out, him and my dad went to school in Graceville, Florida, a little, little tiny town in Graceville, Florida. Ronnie Smith ends up here in Lyons, 
And here I go out of all the churches I can go to, First Baptist Church Alliance, in his specific Bible study. And it was just amazing to see the signs that God was showing me. And there's been many more. And I'm sure all of us have these stories of just signs when we thought we made a wrong decision, we made a tough decision, and then God shows us that the decision was good. But even when we make the wrong decisions, thankfully God, you know, He's still graceful, He's still merciful, He's forgiving. But I just want to say to all of us, you know, if we ever have to face decisions, pray about it, figure out what God wants you to do, and then take that leap of faith, even when it is not always the most logical decision. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day, Lord, and just thank you for all you've done for us. And God, we just pray that you help us, Lord, to face these leaps that we have to face. Help us make the decisions, Lord, according to your will. And God, just guide us and direct us in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs>
partake of our Lord's Supper. Bryce and Tara, if you'll join me up front. I've, uh, I've taught this Bible study uh, twice now. I've taught the same Bible study twice to different places. Uh, Psalm, 40, Psalm 40, verse 3, I believe, is David was saying that God has put a song on his heart, a hymn of praise to God. And, uh, and so we were going around the Bible studies and we were just talking about what's the song, what's the, what's the hymn of praise that God has put in your heart. And all the stories were different, but for every believer, there is no song, no hymn of praise that does not have to do with what we're about to celebrate right now, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thanks. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, we thank you for this Passover that you give us. Your Son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for our many sins. Lord, we thank you for that. There's no way we can come to understand or appreciate enough, Lord, what you have given us. It's eternal life with you and your Son. We thank you, Lord, for all you did. Amen. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Mr. Lane, will you close the prayer?